Then Paul said to the crowd, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptised and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of Martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Brilliant. Thank you, Melissa. If you've got one of those Bibles open in that passage, uh, do just keep it there for a few minutes while we just uh, have a think about this a little bit more. You see, uh, Paul's change of mind and change of heart was so so significant and, and so serious that now, sometimes when someone um, turns around, we, we, we call it a Damascus Road experience, don't we? Um, whether that's um, in politics or whether it's um, in family life or whatever it might be. And there's so much in this passage that we could think about about Paul, sometimes called Saul, confusingly, uh, and uh, how he had a very special role to play in the story of the church, which no one else had. Uh, Verses 14 and 15, Ananias says to, to Paul, God has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. You will be his witness to all people. And that's true of him in a way which is, uh, which is perhaps not true of other people in the church. Uh, that amazing thing that God chose his enemy to be the one to go and tell people all about what he had done. We could talk about that. We could talk about uh, how what happened to Paul, although it's unique, does also point to what happens to all those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that none of us are born Christian. We've just been thinking about this, haven't we, in the lives of, of Rafe and Aveline and Luca, uh, that our prayer and our hope for them is that they will come to know the Lord better and better for themselves and will want, like Paul was encouraged to, to come to baptism 
in due course. But I want us to focus this morning, just for a few minutes, on the two things that happened suddenly to Paul as he was on that road on the way to Damascus. Um, The first thing that he encountered was that bright, dazzling light, wasn't it? Now, both of these things tell us about Jesus. First of all, that he is the light of the world. Now, when you look at light, what do you see? The sun is the source of all light in our world, isn't it? What color is it? Is it white? Is it yellow? Is it orange? Is it red? I mean, you can't look straight at it, can you? Uh, And actually, none of us can see most of the color spectrum at all. You know, we can see everything between red and violet, but there are all kinds of parts of light, apparently, I'm not a physicist, that are invisible to the human eye. And one for the scientists among us. There's probably a scientist or two here this morning. Is light a particle or a wave? Apparently there's a question there. Or is it both? I can see one or two knowing nods around the congregation and some looks of, uh, looks of amusement. On a bright day, we see light in all kinds of ways, don't we? Streaming through stained glass windows when it's a bright, sunny day in church. Or if you go out on a dark night, you've got to take a light with you, whether it's on your car or your bike or in your hand, so that you can see. Um, I can't see anything without light, but if I look straight at the light let alone straight at the sun, then I'm likely to go blind or at least temporarily not be able to see. What are the first words that God says in the whole Bible? Let there be light. And when we say the creed, what we believe, we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. It's only because God made the world that there's anything to see. It's only because God made light that we can see anything that he did make. If you read the Old Testament, you find Moses. And he discovers that he can't look God in the face. But even when God passes by him up on a mountain, when Moses goes back down to all the people, he has to wear a veil over his face because his face is shining so brightly with the glory of God. And Paul himself, when he writes about God the Father some years after what happened in this story... He calls him the King of kings and the Lord of lords who alone is is immortal and lives in unapproachable light. God is the light who drives away the darkness. Have you noticed that? It doesn't matter how dark it is. As soon as you turn a light on, the light wins and the darkness loses. John says in his first letter, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Now by the time Paul meets Jesus on that road, Jesus has done the main work of driving out the darkness. He's been arrested. When was he arrested? At night. He's been tried through the night. And he's died on a cross in the daytime. But of course, it went dark for three hours as it took place. Until on a Sunday morning, the first day of the week, at dawn, as the light was breaking, those women went to the tomb and discovered that Jesus is alive. The darkness has lost. There's a new creation. Let there be light. That's why we meet on a Sunday morning to worship and to praise God. And so it's not surprising really, is it, that when Jesus meets Paul on the road to Damascus and he wants to show him who he is, the very first thing that happens, to quote a song, is he's blinded by the light. That's the light of the world he's meeting. 
pure and holy, radiant and good. Jesus, the light who shines in the darkness, but who Paul discovers he can actually meet. That's the first thing that happens to Paul. Discovers Jesus, the light. But then the second thing he discovers is that Jesus is also the God who speaks the word of God. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me, Jesus says. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Get up and go to Damascus, and you will be told all that you've been given to do. Now, one of the most famous chapters in the Bible is John chapter 1, isn't it? We often read it at Christmas time. It's got two main themes, light and word. Jesus is the light of the world who shines in the darkness, and he's the word of God who descends among his creation, the word who became flesh. And the second thing this morning is that just like light, which we need, words are really significant uh, in our lives and in the Bible. Just think for a moment. Can you remember a time when someone said some words to you and they were just so helpful or maybe really encouraging to you? Maybe they helped you in a sad time. Or can you think of some words that someone said to you and they were horrible and they made you feel terrible? Maybe they were words that were written Maybe they were words that were spoken aloud, and it hurt. Without words, we could still see many of the things that God has done and has made, the evidence of the light in the world, but we might not be able to understand many of what they are. I mean, they say, don't they, a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, But at the same time, whether it's in a a newspaper or, or on Facebook or Instagram, most of the time when there's a picture, there's also a caption underneath it. Sometimes we need a bit of an explanation, don't we? Jesus appears to us, but he also speaks to us. He shows us the Father, but he also speaks to us about the Father. He's the light of the world and the Word who is God. And so Paul, on that road, he gets both sound and vision. So what an appropriate passage this is to have today, just as it happens on the day when we've got our new Bibles here in church. And we've got Bibles in church for the first time in such a long time. We've got the Word of God written down in the pews there for our use when we meet. It's another of those things, isn't it, that it's so easy to take for granted and that the last 18 months have perhaps reminded us that we shouldn't. Here's what the Bible says about the words that God speaks. Psalm 119 says to God, your word is sweeter than honey. Psalm 12 says it's like pure gold. And so, yeah, on to note just how fantastic it is that we're able to read the Bible. Of course, we can have it in many formats these days, uh, can't we? Um, I've got an app on my phone, which means I can call up any Bible passage. And we've been making use of that quite a bit in church of late. And I'm sure many of you have got that too, and it's really good. Um, at the same time, I think I want to encourage you when you're in church as much as possible to use a, an actual physical Bible, the book itself, and not just to look at the words on a screen. Um, partly because it helps us to know the Bible better when we have to search for a passage, doesn't it? The Bible's got 66 books, but it's one story, and it's great to be able to to kind of get a sense of where we are in that big story. Partly because if you're anything like me, when you're in church and you're looking at it on your phone and and, and a notification pops up, it's just so tempting to switch off and have a look, isn't it? Uh, Or when, you know, the sermon's got boring. Oh, let's just have a look at something else on on our phones. Not that you would ever do that to me, I know, but... 
But I do want to say let's treasure the fact that we have God's word written down and printed for us. But most of all, let's treasure Jesus, the word of God who came to live among us and who appeared to Paul and spoke to him and who speaks to us, maybe not quite so dramatically, but he still speaks to us today. Finally, here's one last detail that we really shouldn't miss. There's Paul, the persecutor. He's there on the road. His life is about to be turned around. There's a flash of light. There's a voice from heaven that only he can understand. But what does Jesus say to Paul? Well, what would you expect him to say? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? If you hadn't heard it before, what would you put at the end of that sentence? Why do you persecute my disciples? Why do you persecute my, my friends, my people? But he doesn't say that, does he? He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's what Jesus says. That tells us something amazing. That to Jesus, his people, his disciples, his friends, people like you and me, he considers them so close to him that when Paul persecutes them, he is persecuting Jesus himself. It hurts Jesus. That is Jesus' relationship with his people with every one of us who hears his invitation and says yes and comes to faith. So whoever you are this morning, whatever you have done, however much you might think, I'm not sure if I deserve this, amazingly, it will also be now Jesus' relationship with you when you say yes to him. It's even Jesus' relationship with Paul who went from persecutor to family member. And I love that bit that Ananias says to him in verse 16. Um, He says to Paul, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Turn around, go from one thing to become another thing. Well, that is our story too. That's the family we've been invited to belong to. That is the invitation um, to Rafe and, and, and Aveline and to Luca and to all of us, young or old. And that is the God who meets with us in worship, even as he met with Paul on the road. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you because you are the light of the world who made all things. You are the word of God who still speaks today. And you count us as your family and your friends. And so we pray that you would help each one of us to continue to trust in you, to say yes to your invitation, to be a part of your people. In your name we pray. Amen.